We ooh, no, I'm not going to start singing Christmas songs for the intro this time. How are you doing, everybody? And welcome back to uh, a, a nippy and frostbit edition of uh, F&I Rap Chat. Uh, the reason I say nippy and frost uh, bit is it's bloody cold out there. Um, just want to remind people of an, a kind of pop-up initiative that we're working on at the moment. Um it's been on our kind of mind uh, with FNI to try and do something about the homeless, uh, uh, the homeless crisis uh, in Ireland. Um, you know, d- you know, there's a couple of different schools of thought on this. What kind of, ch- you know, change can you actually make by, you know, doing something or raising funds or whatever? But the reasoning behind this initiative, which is called FNI. 2020 vision is very much about uh, raising awareness through the arts, art as activism. Uh, so ideally, we're trying to make as much short film and documentary content over a weekend on th- uh, this weekend, uh, the 13th to the 15th. Uh, tickets are available via uh, via Eventbrite, and we will be giving the proceeds to the Peter McFerry Trust. But specifically, the most important thing that we want uh, in terms of results from this is to make as much content as possible, which we can then push out uh, in on social media and raise awareness and hopefully make some really, really good stuff as well. And in order to do that, we need some really good people. We have two sessions. We have a, pre, we have a pre-existing session where you can send in a short film or documentary under 10 minutes in length, which we will screen. And then uh, the second way to get involved is to come down, get a team together um, and register uh, via buying a ticket on Eventbrite and then showing up on the 13th at uh, half 6 p.m. Um, to team up, go and make some stuff. And we'll you know, try and get as many people together as possible and screen that then. And then ultimately use that content to try and make a political statement to to say that we're not happy about the situation. You know, it's only a matter of time before stories filter in about people passing away on the streets. And we need to collectively do something about that. And the only way we can do that is by raising our voice. So if you're interested in getting involved in that, it's called FNI 2020 Vision Tickets via Eventbrite. And uh, we could really use your support. So come along take a chance if you're not available for the whole weekend come along you can also donate as well and not come um and yeah we'll see if we can just do something so let's try and be involved in something positive and engaging uh paul uh how are you doing um yeah so this week god i'm feeling all bob Geldof now after that uh, <laughs> Play. Give uh, us your fucking money. No, it's not. It's not about that at all. It's very much about the. Uh, it's very much about the uh, the end product. Yeah, oh, it'd be great to see uh, what films come out of it as well. And yeah. Oh, sorry. What I forgot to mention. Sorry to cut across you, Paul. Is the winners of both of those uh, rounds will have film screenings at, confirmed so far at the Dublin uh, Virgin Media Dublin Film Festival in February. You'll have a spot and it will screen at that. And then equally at the Kerry Film Festival as well in 2020. We, you'll also have a, an, hour, an hour or so meeting mentorship with uh, Eve Collins, who is a programmer at the Galway Film Fla, Kerry Film Festival, uh, formerly of Indie Cork and a few other festivals, including Irish Screen America. So yeah, in terms of festival strategy, 
we're we're giving you a place to put it and you know uh, some advice on what to do with it afterwards. Yeah, so that is a, a huge prize and a huge incentive to get down. And uh, yeah, there, I've I've done these kind of um, shooting screen competitions before. I did the offline one many years ago when I was kind of getting just getting back into making films after being away for a while and it really gave me gave me the kick of the hole up the hole to make something <laughs> and get it get it out there and get it to an audience in a really quick turnaround. But, you know, to have that prize of having a film at those festivals, they're very prestigious festivals, very hard to get into. So that is a really, really cool thing. Yeah, we've been working really hard. There's, there'll be a couple of other announcements as well uh, in terms uh, on the lead up over the next few days. So keep an eye on social networks for that in terms of what's on offer. Yeah. Paul, so uh, today talk to me. We have got Steve Wall on uh, the podcast, uh, an absolute gentleman. Uh, many would know him from his musical career with The Walls and The Stunning. Um, great. So many great tunes, and uh, yeah, more, in more recent years, I'm a familiar face on the acting scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, he says he's always getting cast as a bad guy, but he's one of the nicest fellas you could you could meet. So it's a really good chat. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, he's a he's a gent. Um, it's great to see somebody of that level of experience, and you know, from the outside looking in, success who is as nice and as engaging uh, as as he is. It's a uh, it's really a pleasure to talk to him. Um, yeah. Any other news coming up, Polly? Uh, well, courses. Courses, yeah, we have a few bits and pieces. Firstly, support uh, Irish film by sticking on your Netflix account and having a look at The, uh, uh, the Hole in the Ground, uh, directed by Lee Cronin, is now available. Um, always try and watch it, uh, you know, download and, and, and stream uh, Irish films in particular from the uh, proper sources. Uh, that's really important. Uh, yeah, and it's a great one, and distributed by our partners at Wildcard Distribution. Yeah, and on the 6th of December, which, uh, it's, uh, actually maybe, uh, yeah, I th- again, this goes out, it'll be, uh, it'll be out already. Um, the Last Rite is now available in cinemas, um, which you should definitely check out. Check back to our Cork Film Festival edition. Uh, to hear uh, director Aoife Crean, uh, 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 Pippa and Paul uh, from uh, from that production talking about that. It's really good. Colin Meany is in it, um, as well as some other established creatives. Brian Cox from uh, Succession, a few other people. So get into the cinema and see that. Uh, we also have a couple of classes coming up. We have um, a couple of really interesting ones. We've one for kids coming up um, called uh, First Starts in Film and TV which is a four-week course uh, starting in Dublin Business School on the 11th of January. Um, it's for teenagers from 13 to 17. So it's very much about lighting a fire under that kind of creative uh, juice that they have. Um, and, sh- uh, you know, and there'll be some, there'll be an interesting guest coming in at the end as well to give a little bit of a chat w- to them. We also have another course coming up with Morgan C. Jones, um, Make Friends with the Lens, which we'll be announcing now in the next week. And we also have a very interesting class coming up for documentarians, for budding and established documentarians or people making who want to make the leap from short content to uh, to, uh, feature documentary content. Who's running that, Paul? That'll be me. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be me! Uh, Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, Paul put 
the idea out to me to do a course for filmmakers. So the first part of the day will be focusing on on short films and making uh, a short documentary that will ha- have appeal enough appeal to go to festivals. And uh, yes, yeah, so we're kind of using my, my film, The Vasectomy Doctor, as kind of a case study and kind of going through uh, things like finding stories, working with subjects, uh, uh, working with. Uh, uh, interview techniques and then uh, the different types of uh, uh, B-roll that we can use so from animation to reconstructions to archive and how, how we kind of fill our films our, our documentaries with images um, not just talking heads and that kind of thing and then uh, how you can get your film out there to festivals and then finally the the, uh, the last part of the day will be a panel discussion with uh, three uh, experienced documentary makers who are making longer form documentaries, so from TV to film, and uh, and we've got some very exciting names that we'll will announce soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really one not to miss, and I don't think um, uh, I, I I don't we've never done anything like this before, so we're really excited about this in particular um, because one of our strong suits in this country is our unflinching uh, docu- documentaries. Uh, in terms of identifying really interesting narrative stories uh, in this country, so we really want to explore that. Keep an eye on our, uh, an eye out for our, and and Paul because he ha- we wouldn't say because he's too sound and too humble. Uh, quite recently on a short he's been uh, that he made called the vasectomy doctors been doing really well and picking up awards. Congratulations! Thanks. Nice to see. Uh, nice to see good people doing well. Uh, that's it, I think, uh, in terms of an intro. Uh, here's uh, Steve Wall. Uh, Steve Wall, thank you very much for coming. How are you doing? Um, what mode are you in, or have you got uh, projects, or are you in music mode, or? Um, I'm kind of always in both modes. Actually, yeah. they they run in parallel, which at times um, I battle with, you know, and it can get a bit confusing. If I'm on, if I'm working on an acting gig, and then there's music stuff to be done. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I find it hard to switch focus. Okay. It's easy enough to switch focus onto music stuff, but it, yeah. switching back into Acting mode is a different thing. I, um, like people would sometimes say, "Oh, there's similarities, isn't there, between the two? You know, performing on stage and uh, you know with a band, and then acting." And I've actually found them. There may be a couple of similarities, but I've found it very different. And the kind of focus that's needed for acting is very different. And that's sometimes what I struggle with if I'm in music mode, getting back into that sort of pinpoint focus. Is musical performance very much about letting go as opposed to, you know, it's, you're in it and you're not thinking about it? Is, is it about finding that, sen- that that state of ascension in both of them where you're just completely releasing and just being in the, you know, kind of in the moment, as it were? Well, is there a difference? In even, even apart from just, say, the performance of music, like myself and my brother Joe, we, we manage the band, we manage the stunning and the walls we've kind of put on the shelf for a while because it was just too much to try and keep two bands going and other <laughs> careers. So uh, we manage the band. We're the record label as well. So at the moment, like we're planning a reissue of the the Stunnings debut album on oh, wow. vinyl. 
uh, that's being done at the moment. Paradise in the Picture House is 30 years old next year. So all of that is being done at the moment as well, the artwork and dealing with the pressing plant and distribution. And so we have a sort of a business hat on as well as a creative hat when it comes to the music. So then even when it comes to performing at a gig, sometimes we have to put that aside and say, this is what it's all about at the end of the day. We have to go on stage and enjoy ourselves mm. and play these songs, some of which we've been playing for 30 years and and keep it fresh and, you know, and try and every so often bring new songs into the mix as well. Yeah. So there are those struggles within the music world anyway. And then there's acting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for as me, if, as if you didn't have enough troubles for me, <laughs> you know, I, it's a good thing, you know, like I, I love keeping busy. And, yeah. and the thing about music is that um, it's very, you know, uh, you make it happen yourself. Um, I mean, you know, you write a song, you record it, hopefully it's good. You get on the phone, you hustle, you send emails, you get it out there. You do all of that, you know, that's yeah. what any new artist does. Um, but it, with acting, you don't have that power. You know, that's, that's, and that's why I don't want to let music go because music, I can always, you know, you can make it happen. It's, it's a real, um, it's a DIY thing. Mm -hmm. Acting unless you're a writer, writing your own content and writing yourself into mm -hmm. a short film or a feature film or whatever, you're pretty much powerless because somebody else or there'll be, there'll be um, a collection of people will ultimately decide whether you're going to work or not. Mm. And that's something that when I was doing acting back before The Stunning, that's something that I didn't like and that's why <laughs> I started a band. <laughs> Every time I got out, they pull me back in. Yeah. So... So that, I didn't realize that that you actually had acted before. So in your teens, basically. Yeah, um, no, I was in my twenties, in my early twenties, and uh, I joined the Drew Theatre Company in Galway for two years. So I started out in there as pretty much walk-on parts and um, understudy work, pulling ropes. And you know, yeah. I was uh, Gary Hines, the director. I was her assistant on on a production. And I ended up in there for two years, sound operator, all kinds of stuff. And I absolutely loved it. So yeah. I moved to Dublin yeah. to pursue an acting career. Okay. And uh, that's where reality hit. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the dole for like a year. Wow. Didn't even hear about auditions. This is pre-internet. Yeah. Not a good know? decade to be on the dole either, is it? No, no. Yeah. I mean, th that was like the mid 80s. And uh, it was pretty miserable, you know. You had to go to... Um, uh, some actor told me that you had to drink in a, there was a couple of pubs um, the Foggy was it the Foggy Dew the Flo no, what, uh, what do you want call the one down no it's not the Foggy Dew uh, the, fl the Foggy the Dew Flo would, and have, Tide. would have been there but the, yeah they were adjacent so yeah the Flo and Tide them, and uh, Sheen's on Chatham Street and you had to go in there <laughs> to meet actors to find out what <laughs> if there was any auditions coming up um, and if you didn't drink in those two pubs then you know what I mean? you might as well be in Timbuktu yeah yeah so um, was it all very much theatre then there probably wasn't very, very much theatre yeah. Yeah, yeah there was a place down uh, I think it was on Bachelor's Walk called the Actors Centre and it was just like a room with a kettle and, and a box of tea bags <laughs> and they had a notice board and you know auditions that were coming up were supposedly pinned on that but by the time you <laughs> see that notice yeah. board they were already cast you know yeah, there's a yeah. very there was a very small clique of Dublin actors usually aligned to the various theatres you know yeah so um, yeah so I was just, after a year of that, I just said, to hell with this, I'm going to start a band. Because I was going to bands all the time. There was an amazing uh, music scene um, yeah. 
the real burgeoning music scene in Dublin then there was all these bands like Something Happens and the Golden Horde and you know the, the Waterboys had moved to Ireland and were recording down in Spiddle and yeah, yeah. you know there was a real buzz you know music buzz going on at the time so I decided to start a band and then the next 25 years were <laughs> it was rock and roll <laughs> you were busy roped in your brother little brother or yeah Joe's yeah. younger than me yeah. yeah yeah. so had he been playing doing bands and stuff or no no, no he, he was in art college right and had dropped out for a year to travel around Europe and basically chase women I think that's really <laughs> what he was doing and uh then I actually wrote to him because I wanted him to be in the band because we had very similar musical tastes yeah. and similar sense of humour as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wrote to him. At the time he was working, he was a swimming pool attendant in a hotel in Switzerland. Nice. <laughs> 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 yeah. And uh, I, I remember writing to him and asking him, would he come back and um, play bass guitar? He'd never played bass, so right. he learned bass. So he became a bass player. <laughs> Dear brother, I hear you're in the chalet <laughs> in Switzerland. Please come home. And like, but you were you writing songs together or say like lyrics? Well, no. Um, when we started, we actually weren't writing our own stuff. We yeah. started playing um, covers, but really yeah. obscure covers. We take there was a, like a big. It's funny because it was sort of like um, an episode of the Monkeys or something like that. <laughs> we actually all lived together, right? Um, that came about through, you know, um, various mistakes that happened. I happened to, s- I, I set Derek, the guitar player and his girlfriend were living in a beautiful attached cottage, which I set on fire. <laughs> Seriously? Uh, yeah, by mistake, obviously. <laughs> and, um, so we all ended up then renting this old farmhouse on, just on the outskirts of Galway. And everyone was kind of homeless at the time. Cause you know, at that age, you'd, you'd go down to Galway and you'd always stay with friends, you know? So everyone was always staying with people. So, there was already a guy and his girlfriend living in this house and uh, this guy, Richie. And, but we all moved in. And there must have been, oh, I'd say there was eight of us or so in the house and then plus added people that would be passing through. So the house became the centre of all band activities. We rehearsed there. There was an old kind of chicken shed out the back that we cleaned out yeah. and ran a plug board into it and yeah. we rehearsed in there. And uh, there was a donkey. A donkey came with the house as well. We, we <laughs> called him. We called him Trigger. <laughs> and, uh, then, um, yeah, everything happened in that house. We took turns to cook. Um, but the, one of the sort of most important things was everybody had their record collection, tons of vinyl. Wow. So Derek, the guitar player, also was a DJ. He ran um, a soul club called the Soul Solution every Wednesday night in the Beach Hotel. And he had an amazing collection of records, more kind of on the soul groove kind of end of things. Yeah. Then you Cormac, the, the, um, our drummer, had um, a lot of indie stuff, you know, yeah. television, Pere Ubu, the Stooges, wow. you know, more the kind of guitar kind yeah. of stuff. And then myself and Joe had everything from the Beatles to Johnny Cash to, you know, jazz, all kinds. Of, so all day long there was music playing. Somebody would be cooking breakfast, there was records on all day long. So we would hear something and then we'd go into the room and, pick it and we'd try to play it. Mm-hmm. So that's this, all the Stunnings early set was all covers, obscure covers that we sort yeah. of turned into our own. Yeah. And I guess it'd be so different then to now in terms of like, I guess the, the Holy Grail was to get a record deal and then yeah. get them to make music videos and that where now it's like, bands are making their own videos like was music videos were you interested in did you or did you get to make money as we made a few music videos 
something that um, we've always been pretty shit at. Right. Um, even now, like I always dread videos because you come <laughs> up with an idea and you try to explain it to uh, a filmmaker. And it's very hard, actually, to, you know, to communicate something to that you see in your head. Yeah, yeah. So, but we did, we, the early stunning videos were good, actually. Um, a filmmaker called Robert Quinn, who's the son of Bob Quinn, the documentary maker. Mm. Um, Bob Quinn, who lives in... Um, features and... He's, he's yeah, oh, he yeah, does, yeah, yeah, he features, yeah. that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Budawani and stuff like that, and... Yeah. Bob made an amazing series called Atlantean, Atlantean that I saw yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the late 80s. Yeah. And so Robert, Bob's son, he's a film director now, and uh, he made the Stunning's first video on a Super 8 uh, camera, black yeah. and white. Yeah. And the video was made, we kind of said, the song is called Heads Are Gonna Roll, so we decided that it could have a boxing theme. And as it turns out, in Galway at the time, there was... Uh, an old barbershop called Chick the Barber and Chick was yeah, a, I used to get a my hair. well I got, <laughs> I got my hair cut once <laughs> me too once yeah <laughs> just once from yeah. Chick and, and then I didn't go back just for the experience yeah. but uh, yeah. not the best haircut I remember saying to him um I was, well, I was just about to say, could you just take a bit? And before I'd even finished the <laughs> sentence, he sort of pushed my head forward. I heard this, <laughs> this thing for about 10 <laughs> seconds. And then I looked up and it was all just gone. And he does, he gave the one haircut yeah, to was it, yeah. <laughs> But we filmed uh, in the barbershop, which was great, actually. And Chick yeah. is in it. And then we filmed up in the boxing club as well. So that, yeah, because he, he managed that he was involved in. boxers, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was it the... Francis Barrett. Francis Barrett, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, cool, great idea for... Is that available? Could you see... It's on, on YouTube, YouTube, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Heads are going to roll. It's uh, yeah, it's a lovely video, actually. And the fact's made on a Super 8, black and white Super 8 as well. There's something yeah. really mm. charming about it, you know, the quality. Yeah. yeah uh, it, it, it ages very, very well. We had, um, you you know, somebody, somebody who has not a dissimilar past uh, on recently a director, uh, actually on our first episode, uh, Nick Kelly. Oh yeah, from from the uh, fat lady sings. Fat lady yeah. sings yeah, yeah. Um, I know Nick. How did incidentally, you actually, Robert made this uh, follow up video to that. Okay, and like the first one was on Super Eight. The second one he did it on thirty five millimeter film in right. Ardmore. Wow! Right. So that was big like a big up. step up. And yeah, because now he was, I suppose he was climbing up in the film world and making more context. So he could get some old stock of film and yeah, all that. So it yeah. was done on a proper kind of Panavision camera and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it looks amazing. <laughs> that was for everything that rises. Oh, cool, yeah. There's a chance for people to make, you know, short films basically then and get, maybe get some money from record companies or was, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to remember. We The Stunning were pretty much a kind of a DIY thing. Like, really, yeah. Like the first yeah. album was paid for by, by ourselves. Right. And... Uh, then we licensed it to Solid Records. Actually, then Solid Records paid for the second album. Okay. So they may have given us some money for that video. Which would be P- Picture House? Yeah. Uh, Paradise and Picture House was the first, the first one. one. Okay. And that, um, the band owned that because right. we, we paid for it out of gig money. The second one then, Once Around the World, was paid for by Solid. Okay. And then that's actually the album that we re-recorded and we put out last year. Oh really? I'm called it twice around the world, but we added. <laughs> we we were never happy with the sound of it. Like, and okay. the songs, those songs are like comprise about at least half of our set. Right. And 
the album, they were, I don't know, there's just no power in them. And the songs were just written as well when we went into the studio, so they hadn't been gigged, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now they've been gigged for like <laughs> 20 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did and it they work, just. Though, um, that, that notion of going back and being able to, you know, redo something. Oh, yeah. Done it, it's it, way it, better. It really? Oh, it's way better. I mean, they're, they're chalk and cheese. Like, it's way better. They're just, everyone is a better musician. The tempos are right, you know, songs that we we used to play things too fast sometimes. And, Mm. you know, there's a song called Rusty Old River and the original one, it's just so fast. Whereas it it was meant to sort of just swing along like a Fleetwood Mac song or something. So we got all that stuff right in the the (laughs) re-recorded version. It's an interesting exercise. Probably not many bands get to do that. Mm. Well, not the same filmmaker gets to do it with a film anyway. No. Remade, you know, a dozen times over 50 years or whatever. Well, sometimes if you might have like a foreign language film and then the same director gets to do the English version. And there's another side to it as well that when you do record all your own material it means you own it as well right well, so good, once when we re-recorded that album and everything it means now we own all our own catalog mm. you yeah. know well we all we owned all the wall stuff anyway so we now own all the stunning's catalog so when we're talking to filmmakers or you know tv shows if they want to we're a one-stop shop for great for licensing you yeah. know we can license both sides yeah. and it's not like they're trying to deal with some Warner Chapel or whatever in London and taking ages we can clear stuff really quickly Yeah. so we've done that now over the years um, with productions they just come to us and then we do we have um, a music supervisor guy who yeah. does that end of it for us so you yeah. know what I mean there's somebody between us and the thing yeah. it's just it's more also professional handy, handy to have somebody who works in film and TV who understands the process as yeah. well, on both sides of it yeah. you know, so there's a bit of you know, yeah. clarity and, and, and fairness there as well yeah. that's on cool. both sides um, I hate to like we could literally sit down and talk about just your musical career alone. I know we need to. <laughs> we need to move on <laughs> and, and and talk about who. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll get all the goss. Um, what was it about performing? Was it always there? Was were there nights when you were, you know, successful and yearning to do other things, or did did it leave you? Did it ever leave you and come back, or was it always there? And you're like, I need to. You think about acting? Yeah. Yeah. Performing p- yeah. yeah, performing on well, screen. Or yeah. Stage. Well, I think, well, when I, when I was a kid, you know, like, um, uh, we moved from Dublin down to Ennis Diamond in County Clare. I was 13 years old and I had just started secondary school in Dublin. So um, I was very settled here. So the move down there at the time was, um, uh, I was very unhappy about moving. But my whole family was moving, so we had to go. My father... Mm was from that town and he was taking over the family shoe shop. And uh, so I felt, I, I pretty much felt like I was a fish out of water and I felt kind of, um, you know, you're you're just starting off as a, as a teenager, you know. I was put into the local, with my brother as well, the local Christian Brothers School, which was very different to... Um, Templo College where I just started it was it was like going back in time in a lot of ways and uh, so I, I think I felt for the first couple of years anyway I felt very um, uh, just lost you know mm-hmm. and so I for me kind of my imagination and and fantasizing and movies and all that and, and books books were a big thing that really took over it became a huge thing uh, for me, was Sa- kind of dis- you in a way. Would you go that far? I think, I think, I think. Um, like I used to read voraciously. I read everything. You know, I was reading. You know, 
the kind of stuff as well that sort of suited my mood at the time. I was reading, all, you know, the existentialists, and, you know, Catherine Ryan. and you know, you know, portrait of the artist as a young man and all this. And I really did feel that I was a misunderstood yeah. <laughs> fish out of water. Yeah. And uh, but then I remember around that age seeing um, uh, James Dean and Rebel Without a Cause, and it was on RTE one night, and it literally blew my mind. Mm. And then I remember seeing, and now the thing is, we didn't, back then, we didn't even have a video player, you know. I mean, this is even before video players and video libraries. You were basically at the mercy of what RTE showed. When we moved down there, we had one channel, just RTE one. So you got the RTE guide and, <laughs> and you ticked off and, you know, you <laughs> scour the week ahead. Yeah. And if there was a good movie, like a There's little James lovely, Dean lovely season or something that, like though, that. Wasn't there the idea of... Okay, that's the only thing that's happening tonight. So therefore, all of the family would sit down and watch. Yeah, so yeah. It created that communal, yeah. almost cinematic experience. Yeah, and I used to love when actors were interviewed on the Late Late Show and stuff like that. You know, because everybody was watching the Late Late Show. I remember seeing Oliver Reed on the Late Late Show when he was drunk, yeah. performing, <laughs> a, taking his shirt off and doing a handstand on the yeah, chair. Yeah, the one with his collars and up and he's yeah. dancing. Yeah, yeah. I but I See, think at that time that. It became the, like movies and um, even going to um, La Hinch sometimes out in the, uh, on the promenade there, there was a, an old cinema mm. as part of the, 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 the centre there and they would show films in the summertime. So movies just became like a huge thing and it was a sort of a form of escapism and I suppose in a way a kind of a, a dream-like thing. So I had this notion that I wanted to be an actor and... I remember when I was around 50 or coming up to leaving cert, I actually applied for RADA in London and knowing I had no hope that I didn't, you know. So I would no experience of acting. I hadn't, there was no drama in the school or anything. It was very basic in the school. Not like now when people have all of these, they're fer- you know, parents are ferrying kids at the weekend off to dance classes and mm-hmm. drama and all kinds of stuff. It was very limited there then. So it kind of just existed in my head. So then when I finished school and uh, I went to Galway, I just took the first course I was offered, which was mechanical engineering and a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm, and, yeah. But uh, I just had this dream of meeting like-minded people my age that were into music and films and all of that mm-hmm. and just to see where it happened. And You're that not was the, the only start person even on, the, on this podcast who have, you know, started on one path, particularly in university and found their way or dragged magnetically mm. back to perform and or being creative in, 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 in some way, you know. Um, do you feel, um, how do you, you, you said there you touched on kind of a little bit of rejection kind of early on. How do you kind of generally speaking deal with that in your professional life? I have a pretty tough skin now at this stage, you know. Yeah. I'm like, there's just years of uh, rejection in the music business, so I think it's pre- prepared me well for yeah. the acting world. What else have you got? And uh, yeah, um, like there was, I suppose, through um, throughout our music career, you know, there's been a lot of disappointments, you know, and even you know, like the stunning split up in '94 after seven years, and that was a disappointment. It was like <laughs> all the stuff we thought might happen didn't happen. And um, so it was a bit of a bitter pill, but it was the best thing to do at the time, you know, kind of quit while we're ahead rather than we could start to see in 94. We started to see crowds dwindling a bit. It wasn't just because of the band hadn't, you know, got an international record deal or anything like that. Everything was changing. You know, the dance scene was coming in. Mm. Venues were starting to disappear. They were taking the stages out and they were putting DJ boots in. So the, the dance 
scene was really starting to take hold in a big way and everything changed around Ireland then you know it just became all about DJs and clubs and music became acoustic so you had a band that would have been playing with uh, electric guitars and drums on a Saturday night somewhere in the country we're now doing an unplugged night on the Monday yeah. in the back room of a pub so it all became that And but then things grow out of that as well out yeah. of that scene became you know you, you came Gemma Hayes, Glenn Hanser, David Kitt, Mundy, mm. Paddy Casey, that whole thing grew out of that acoustic thing. So, you know, yeah. it swings around about and um, it's the same then in the acting world, you know. I mean, for me, what's helped rejection is um, self-tapes because I love doing self-tape auditions because um, I do them, I send them off and I completely forget about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's make believe. It's pirates. It's dressing up as a pirate and just filming it. Yeah. You don't actually well, go yeah. about <laughs> with arr, the headgear on. Arr, arr. Arr. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, like with the, the cockatoo on the shoulder and all that. But it should be know. that kind of sense of play, just for actors, particularly with self types. Um, it should be very much a case of just trying to enjoy it in that moment when mm. you're self taping, right? Yeah. Like trying to get it as close as you can, depending on what it is. It's I mean, pretty it, pure you know, as well, because all you need is a phone. And yeah. your room and yeah. your, do, do you have you any tips for actors and for doing self tapes? Um, well, <laughs> we, we, were, very, we were very lucky actually because when 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 I was kind of um, when I sort of decided to go back into acting, it was all because of um, I, I bumped into when was it? it was around two thousand and ten, and I bumped into Maureen Hughes, who's a casting agent now, and. Um, she was talking about the factory down in Barrow Street and a bunch of them had taken over. John Carney, the filmmaker, Lance mm-hmm. Daly, Shimi Marcus, Kirsten Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Maureen had moved her casting office in there. So this is like always good things happen in recessions, in the pits of recession. Yeah. That's when the arts tends to bloom. Yeah. And most of it is down because they can get affordable space. Yeah. It's crazy when you think of it that's usually what it's down to. There's some building and they've lost their key tenant or whatever or they didn't get planning permission or there's no money there to build it anymore. So the artists move in. And the arts always flourish in times of recession, which is great. And I've seen that happen. Oh, I've, I've, there goes my mic. I've seen that happen in the 80s as well. I've been around long enough to see yeah. it happen before yeah. and how beneficial it can be. But when they all took over the factory, Maureen said um, they were running uh, a screen acting workshop, a four-day thing. And... She said to me, you know, we were just chatting at the side of the street. She said, why did you ever give up acting? And um, I just said, well, you know, music took over and yeah. all that. But I said, it's actually been always there in the back of my mind that I'd love to go back to it. So I said, sign me up. I want to go. And um, and it was a four day workshop and it was amazing. And I, rem- I, I never forget, like cycling home to Harold's Cross or cycling along the canal after the first session. And I felt like I just turned over a new page. I was so yeah. buzzed about it. Figure out it again. It was great. And even though it was very short, it was over in four days, all the actors decided to stick together and meet every week. So there was a bunch of great actors that have gone on to do great things. You know, Jack Rayner, Gavin Dre, Sean Kerslake, Stephen Jones, mm. uh, Peter Coonan. We were all in this one bunch. Wow, so, yeah, yeah. so Jack set up a private Facebook page and called it the Dublin Actors Studio. And then we all shared, we communicated on that in advance of a class. So we'd say, um, someone would say, I've got a scene from Goodwill Hunting, I need two more people. And then whoever answered first, yeah, yeah, count me in. And then you'd share the scenes. And we'd go in and we'd work on those scenes. 
and we'd film them. Uh, in the beginning, we were just filming on smartphones and everything. And then we'd look back and kind of critique them. And then yeah. the film directors that were down there started to get involved because they saw there was like 20 actors turning up wow. every week mm. and working on stuff. So the filmmakers then started to get involved and they started to, you know, watch the scenes and suggest things and all that. So it was great. And then Maureen started doing these sessions where we'd look at people's self-tapes. Mm. You know, maybe once a month or so, you'd go into the screening room and it was it was excruciating now to, to mm. watch them. But it was amazing to get that kind of feedback from a casting director, you know, to actually have your self tape critiqued, mm -hmm. you know. So that was that was a great help um, in actually doing better tapes. Yeah. Like I, I did it. I did a tape for. Um, it was years ago for that Outlander show and um and I was dreading, I was actually dreading if I was ever asked to do a Scottish accent <laughs> in any audition because yeah. it's really difficult. So I spent the whole week um, watching Sc old Scottish TV shows on YouTube and everything. And and then I did the tape. And when we show, when we looked on it on, on the big screen down in, in the factory, I was like had my head in my hands. And then afterwards, Maureen said, um, it's kind of all about the accent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And she was dead right. It was like yeah. I had put everything into getting the accent right and all that. So it sounded great by the end of it. But mm. I'd sort of forgotten about the character and the performance and actually the just not losing some of your own personality as well. Yeah. You know, I'd just become a sort of a I'd morphed into some Scottish impersonator. Yeah, yeah. You know. So that kind of feedback was really brilliant. So character first, accent second. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I've I mean that taught me a lesson. Um after you know, after that that one <laughs> uh, uh particular situation that you can't. It can't be all about the accent. You can't lose yourself. You know what I mean. Yeah, you have to. There has to be. A mimicry then, and it's not. Yeah. You know. That's yeah. Not a good place to be. As an actor, one of the cool things. I'm always jealous of actors getting to, see, to work with all these different. Well, lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess just from the side of being able to see different directors and different styles. Yeah. Is there any directors or any styles of directing that you've really admired in, in your work? I don't think I've kind of done enough really in terms of um, now I have worked with a good few different directors and every, they're all so different mm -hmm. you know they're um, some get more involved in with the actor in terms of the the psychology or whatever behind the scene others there's absolutely no engagement mm -hmm. you know and it, I mean it's hard to talk about directors because I, I don't want to name names or anything right, you know, yeah, but yeah. I mean I, I did a couple of bigger shows like you know Vikings and Warrior and stuff like that where the director changes every uh, every block, block you know what right. I mean so yeah. the director comes in and does two and then you might be back like a month later and you're doing an episode in the next block and it's a different director is that disconcerting and or, or, or is no, it bring a freedom because you know it's I can, fine I can try something new for the next yeah no, it's, it's fine but you do you do see how different they all work I mean there are some directors who seem to be much more technical and they're, they generally are with the camera department and they have more interaction with um, the, the, the DP, the director of photography and mm. the camera crew and all of that than the actors, you know. Yeah. And then you have some directors who seem to just let the DP take care of all of that mm. kind of stuff and want to engage with the actors more. 
um, I do I do like directors that engage with the actors because, you know, I've, I've done um, I've done things where I've the directors we've shook hands at the start of it and I've never had another right. word with them afterwards yeah, yeah, yeah. or her. Yeah. And uh, it's all true ADs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's no interaction or contact there at all, you know, mm. and then other directors then like um, say on the Chet Baker movie, I think it's very different doing a feature film. Mm. Um, when I did the Chet Baker movie, Rolf, uh, uh, who had written it and was directing it as well, he was the opposite. Like he, he wanted to crawl into my head. Yeah. So I actually ended up <laughs> kind of having to set up kind of um, rules, yeah, yeah, certain right, rules okay. that yeah, it was yeah. like, listen, let me do this end of it and you do that yeah. end of it. I'll trust you to do your job and you trust me to do mine, you know. So he was just so invested in the whole thing and he, you know, but he's coming from a different, um, you know, a European auteur Mm. Sort of a director, yeah, obviously respected and appreciated that level of interest in what you're doing. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to a I mean, it was great. Yeah. I think something really good came out of it. You know, mm. yeah. but um, you know, on a big show like Vikings, whatever it is, it's just a machine. You know, yeah. and it's very good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Vikings, it, the production values and the, the standards of Vikings are incredible. I think yeah. it really set the bar high. And uh, but it's a you go in as an. I mean, there's no rehearsal, for example. You right. know. And that's kind of you're in a big show and you arrive and you're doing maybe a big important scene and but you haven't been like say for a play you haven't been rehearsing for a month you know before you get to okay. <laughs> before people get to see it you're yeah. basically turning up that day and you're, you're doing a scene and you know usually what happens is the director will uh, get the actors together and they've just finished another scene yeah. with some other actors and then we all come in and it's like okay let's just hear the lines you read the lines director might say um let's cut that one there i don't think we need it or yeah. maybe you know okay let's run it again you run it again and the actors might do something like i might walk over to the window say or something like that and um you're still kind of you're trying it you're putting it on its feet yeah and then they'll I'm say okay as you go. well you're, yeah you're still kind of trying to find it and then they'll <laughs> call in they do they do a show and tell what they call so they call in all the heads of department then you know the dp the the lighting the all the heads of the department come in and they'll want to see what they're doing. So I'll go, you know, I'll go, well, maybe actually I won't walk to the table. Maybe, maybe I'll walk to, to the table instead of the window. So you walk to the table and then someone drops one of those little um, sausages down at your feet. It's <laughs> like, hang on a minute. I was just trying that out, right. but now I've got to walk to there. Okay. okay. And um, mm. so it's, it's so fast. Right. So they, you do the show and tell and then... The actors are told to, you know, take a break while they actually come in and they light that. Right, and right, says, right. okay, he's going to go now to that table, isn't he? So they're going to light that. And so they do it. And then you come in, you do it. So yeah. you need to be much more technically astute in that regard as an actor. So, so okay, you, I made this decision, trust your instinct. I made this and this is what I'm going to do next. Mm. And then you have to replicate that almost identically when it, when it comes to it. Depends it. on depends on how important your role is in the production. <laughs> if you're the star, yeah, you can yeah. say, you know what, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to walk to the table anymore. I'm actually going to walk over to the door. <laughs> and um, and they'll be going, okay, well, we've just lit that. You know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're the star, you can kind of go, you know, actually, I'm not going to hit any of these marks. I'm just going to run with it and see what happens. I'm going to be free, yeah. you know. But um, on some of the shows, they, they especially if you're, you know, if you're supporting cast, whatever like that, and it's kind of like, 
you know, maybe you should just walk to the table. <laughs> it works for me. Uh, you're not happy with that? No, I think you should just walk there. It looks great. <laughs> so you're, you're obviously... Plus, you can put your sword down on it. Yeah, yeah. You, need a, you need a table for your sword. Uh, so you're obviously very adaptable to direction and, and you know, easy going. You strike me as somebody who would be easy going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I certainly... Um, yeah, no, I, I think when you're doing things like that, it is... On on those on those productions, um, they're so bloody big mm. that y- they need to progress. You know what I mean. You need to see progress. Yeah. Like I, I did a, another one there uh, last May, um, a Ridley Scott thing called Raised by Wolves in South Africa, and uh, this is set on another planet. And that was a massive budget, yeah. Yeah. huge amount of crew, fairly large cast. Not not humongous now because it's. It's on another planet, and only a certain number of people could get there. Yeah, and um, but there were, you know, there's. It, it was quite um, a testing shoot as well, just in terms of the locations and all that we were shooting in, and uh, you can see that um, the thing needs to move. It, it needs to keep moving, mm-hmm. so you you can't be holding things up for silly little reasons. Mm-hmm. You need to keep your eye on the big picture here, and just you know, just deliver the goods. Yeah. Just pick your creative fights, you know. Almost, if, like if you have a bugbear, let it go. Small bugbear, but yeah, wait until it really matters on something that's important. Yeah, you know, um, y- you just need to try and make it work. Yeah, and um, would he be hands on? Is he there on? The I actually, of, yeah. I, I had he had just done episodes one and two, and okay. his son Luke did three and four, which I did. So okay. I just missed them. All oh, right, but um, uh, Neve Algar is in it, and. Uh, who I'm meeting later, actually, and uh, she um, she did the first two as well. So she was working with Ridley and said he was absolutely incredible. Yeah, that he was. I think he finished a week early, and wow. sometimes one take on stuff really fast and knew exactly what he wanted. So he actually had actors coming up. Do you mind? Could we go again? I'm happy. <laughs> it was great, <laughs> and. Uh, it's amazing that all the crew are like they were saying that they were like running to keep up with this man, and I think he's over eighty. Yes, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I mean to finish early as well. And the schedule is rare, rare enough. Yeah. yeah what can you tell us about um, the new gig that's coming out soon on Netflix, The Witcher? The Witcher. Tell us about your involvement in that. Yeah, um, that w- that um, that was shot in uh, Hungary and the Canaries. So it was nice. I got ten days in, in uh, in the Canaries, and uh, I don't know how much I can tell you about that. Actually, was it um, enjoyable? <laughs> it was. It was enjoyable. Like I was. It was one of those kind of roles, not dissimilar to the role I had in Vikings. You know, yeah. I was this kind of like guy who's basically bad. Yeah. You know, I play a lot of baddies, <laughs> and. Uh, so kind of scheming. So a lot of it was dirty looks and <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, Mustache you know. And twiddling. Yeah. So it was another one of those things where the makeup consisted of, of mainly dirt, you know. <laughs> well, it's it's not real dirt. It's makeup. It's a bottle with dirt written on it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they so they dab it onto your face with a sponge. So, you know, I was the same in Viking. A lot of dirt and stuff like that. So it was another one of those dirty characters. <laughs> and uh, so uh, called Bo Holt. Now, I hadn't read the books, the Witcher books. I don't actually, fantasy books are not my thing at all. Mm. I've never read them. Yeah. And uh, and then I'm, I know it's also a big video game as well. So there's huge interest in it. 
um you know i suppose the gaming community as well apparently it's a great game and right. uh yeah. so there's huge interest in the witcher yeah. and uh, i've never played video games and uh, apart from like pac-man in a pub <laughs> in the 80s Prince and uh whatever so um <laughs> and uh pinball was more my thing and pool uh, and uh analog games you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh so yeah i don't know so I, i'm i'm yeah I, I i feature in just one episode so it's not a massive uh yeah role in it by any means but um it was great to get and it was great fun and uh henry was very nice to work with you know he's mm. very well mannered and uh he's a big guy you know <laughs> it's funny because uh when i got cast in it i hadn't i hadn't gone to a gym or anything like that for years because i'd, I'd hurt my back in a gym like about four years ago or something like that and i just didn't do anything and then i got cast in the witcher and I was reading the script, and I was like, oh, no, God, I have, to, I have a big fight with Henry Cavill. What the hell? So I went down to this, um, this was last February. Um, I went down to local gym in Harold's Cross, and there's, there's a trainer guy down there, and um, introduced myself to him, and uh, I said, listen, I have to fight Superman in six weeks' time. Can you do it for me? <laughs> and he says, he thought I was joking. I said, no, I'm serious. I said, I have to fight Henry Cavill and uh, we've got six weeks. What can be done? And uh, he said, well, you know, he says, we're not going to be able to change your physical appearance massively, but we can get you strong so you won't get hurt. Okay. And uh, so I did that. I just kept, you know, I went down three days a week and I'm so glad I did that because there was days of swinging a sword and fighting. It went on for days and they had his training. The fight scene was choreographed. They brought me over to budapest to do all this fight training as well with the stunt guys and um and then there was just they, they were the main things in yeah, the that i had to do bits, so actually, but even just swinging those yeah, so even yeah. though they're not that heavy they're made from bamboo and stuff like that but swinging around you know yeah. and even without doing the training i was actually still you know you'd have stiff shoulders and stuff yeah. like that but if i hadn't have done that bit of uh, training beforehand i would have been a wreck yeah but um when I arrived over, there's a really good uh, uh, English actor in it called Joey Beatty, and he plays um, the Witcher's kind of sidekick. And uh, when I arrived over, Joey says to me, oh, have you met Henry yet? And I said, no, actually, we ha- we haven't met. Oh, well, he says, it's like, um, he'd probably give you a hug, he says, um, but it's like putting your arms around a mantelpiece. <laughs> 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 it was. Henry's huge. Like, he just, he, he's... Uh, he puts the work in. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And maybe just come back to My Foolish Heart. That sounds like a com- very different type of film in that you mm. were, uh, you, you know, the central role. And uh, were, you, like, were you cast because of your musical background? Do you think it was that part? Of I think that was a huge part of it. Yeah. yeah. Because um, I did it. That started off with a self-tape. Right. And... Uh, and in the self tape, there was a um, there was a scene where Chet is talking on the phone to um, his girlfriend who has left Amsterdam and she's gone back to America because he's been mistreating her, and uh, and he sings a bit over the phone to her, you know, and um, so I had done that on the tape, and then they, I was like I was kind of shortlisted or something. They didn't tell me i mean i was told that they were casting in america av kaufman the casting agent was casting in america i i presumed they were definitely going to cast 
an American actor as Chet Baker because it just seemed the obvious thing. Yeah. And uh, so, but I was actually enjoying the audition process because I, I, I love doing auditions and tapes and stuff like that because it's just great experience, you know. Yeah. You, you um, even the bit of research to do like I actually did a fair bit of um, because in the case of this you're playing someone who actually existed yep. who sounds a certain way and looks a certain way so I, I did um, a bit of research before I even did the self-tape and I was trying to get his voice right yeah. and um, and I discovered like by by actually putting tissue up my nose that I could get his sort of his adenoidal um, voice, you know, because right. he had a very high timbre, like Jet spoke up there, you know, yeah. like that. He was a much higher voice than mine. Yeah. But then when I stuffed my nose, I could get it, and it was like, um, Diane, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, uh, and that's the way. Yeah, he was. So, yeah. so I did the whole film <laughs> with, yeah. with yeah. my nose uh, stuffed with the. Uh, I started using um, sterile swabs from the from the chemist because tissues were just driving my nose crazy. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I got a sinus infection after about a oh, week. And, yeah. But um, I think that doing that was a big help in in me getting the part because I I kind of transformed myself into him mm. and uh, and even when when I got the voice right, even when I sang. Uh, with my nose blocked as well like that it actually sounded very close well close enough to him to yeah. sort of without you know impersonating him I yeah, had to yeah. sort of I'm mean, obviously never I've, I've more of a baritone voice and Chet was much yeah. higher um, so it was never going to sound the same but it, at least it worked for the film there was a brittleness to it because I had to stretch to to reach the, the, the notes mm-hmm. and uh so I did a day. They brought me over then to Amsterdam for a day of kind of screen tests and improvisational work and stuff like that with another actor. And then I was basically, um, it was probably a couple of months at least before I got word back. They had to see these American actors. Right. So I presumed, you know, yeah, yeah. Th- that wasn't going to happen. So I was kind of surprised when they came back and said and offered me the role. It's nice to know, you know? that there's still the potential of the best person getting the job. Yeah, you'd imagine uh, if, it yeah. Went, if it you know if it swung back over there, it was very much about a, you know a name, maybe in some capacity. yeah you know and mo- you, you know what I mean in terms of the politics. Yeah, so yeah. it's great to hear about it coming coming back. Well, to that's, they were right trying to the get part. they were trying to get like a, a, an A lister, you know. Yeah. Um, and I know like they 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 were talking to people like, like Jim Carrey was one apparently, and Val Kilmer mm-hmm. was another. And now I don't know, maybe those actors turned it down for reasons or maybe, you know, they possibly did. I know Willem Dafoe was probably the first one they approached and it was probably too small a project for him. Mm. But I mean, he looks perfect. I mean, yeah. they had to do a load of prosthetic uh, makeup on me to get me to... Because um, Chet, Chet looked like he was in his 70s All right, okay. Yeah. when he died, even though he was, I think he was 56. and okay. uh, But he looked like he could have been 76. He was really yeah. in a bad way. Yeah. So they, you know, that was, uh, I think that was the worry about going with me because the, the prosthetic had to work, all the prosthetics, that, you know. And they did an amazing job in that in the end. Of, they did a, a bunch of tests on it. Yeah. Um, if you could give advice to yourself when you're... 
getting back into acting. If there's any tips that you could. So exactly nine years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back now. Or what would you say to yourself in terms of that? You know, if maybe everything happened the way it was supposed to happen at the time it was supposed yeah. to. Yeah. But had had you to give yourself had you to give yourself a pep talk around that time mm. when you were younger in terms of your career, both of them, I guess. What would you kind of say? Or would you I think it, yeah. I I think it, I think it's you know I think it's very hard to be an actor and to just be an actor because there's there's very little power in it you know um like i mentioned earlier like it, it, other people are going to make a decision whether you work or not and it's not a nice position to be in that you feel that your your life has been controlled by the decisions that other people make and uh so i, I know that's the reasons that I started a band in the first place was because uh, I wanted to be busy. I wanted to do something. So I think back then I probably did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could have, say, stuck out another year and see could I have gotten mm-hmm. a foothold in the Dublin theatre scene or whatever. But um, then maybe I wouldn't have started the stunning and things would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I'm kind of glad I did that in a way. And, uh, and I suppose I'm coming back to acting very late. The one thing I would change is that I think I've, I, like I wish I had come back to it a bit earlier, you know, um, that I hadn't left it so long, mm. but it's fine. It is what it is. And I'm actually, I can't complain. I've, I've had a really good year yeah. and, uh, and there seems to be, you know, good roles, out there now for men my age (laughs) and uh even if most of them are baddies but actually i enjoy that there's more fun in um in uh you know playing around with the many faces of evil yeah yeah. and uh but yeah if i if i could change anything you know maybe i would have uh not left it so long to go to try and get back into it but um no, I, I suppose I can't complain. I've been, it's been go, going okay. So I don't know what I would, yeah, uh, as yeah. advice to young actors, I would think, you know, um, it's like giving advice to young musicians now. You can't, it's very difficult to survive on original material or yeah. or just being an actor. I think if you've other strings to your bow, I think it improves your acting. Mm. I think uh, anything at all, an awful lot of, Actors now are writing content as well. Not everybody's a writer, but mm. um, you just you just have to be doing something outside of it. Otherwise, you go mad waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah. Cool. Well, we could chat here all day, but we know you've <laughs> to head on. So um, yeah. thanks so much. And uh, yeah, best of luck with uh, uh, this year coming up. Thanks a million, guys. Great talking to you. Cheers.